Mr. Wicker's Window by Carly Dawson, Chapter 14. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. This recording is by Arthur Piantidosi. Barely were Claggett Chew and Osterbridge Hawsey out of sight when Chris simultaneously became aware of two things. One was a deep thronging ache of the whip cut, so painful it made him feel sick and faint. And the second was the blank figure of Mr. Wicker. Mr. Wicker was threading his way in and out of the crowds and litter of the wharves, and although to most he might have seen leisurely, Chris was able to detect in the step of his master a certain haste. He came up to the little group of men, glanced at the back of Zachary Height, who was moving away as if on some um, uninterrupted duty. And at Chris's white face and the reddened handkerchief with each he held to his chin, Mr. Wicker looked slowly at all the faces and then raised his eyebrows as if in surprise. Well, lads, he said, what has happened here? You all look angry and somewhat frightened. What occurred, Ned? He asked, addressing Ned Seeley, whose fine face was puckered with sympathy for Chris and Sue stood pulling at the stocking cap he held in his hands. But Chris spoke up before Ned could reply. It was my fault, sir. I expect I got what I deserved, but it seemed to happen in spite of myself. I laughed at Osterbridge Hawsey's beauty patch. And at him. All of him, really. We all did. Claggett Chew got mad, and I guess I wouldn't blame him. It was a dreadful thing to do, to laugh at someone to their face, and he lashed out with his whip and gave me a beauty patch. In spite of the pain, Chris managed to grin as he took the handkerchief from his chin to bear the deep, cruel cut. But truly, sir, he ended, I never saw anything like Osterbridge Hawsey before. He's a tilly. <laughs> before they knew it at all, including even the habitually grave, Mr. Wicker burst into another shout of laughter. <laughs> Mr. Wicker soon stopped, however, and reached back into the pocket in the flap of his coattails. When he drew out his hand and held a small glass box, with unhurried gestures, Mr. Wicker's fine fingers took off the lid. What a fortunate coincidence I haven't adjusted this time, he said casually, and that I have with me such an excellent ointment. Master and pupil looked at one another for a moment, and there was a hint of a wink in Mr. Wicker's right eye, and a vestige of an answer from Chris's left. This will help them to stop the bleeding, my boy, said Mr. Wicker, and take away the pain. It hastens the cure. He went on, lightly applying the ointment to the wound. In an hour, you will scarcely know how it happens, he concluded. Seeing the color seep back into Chris's cheeks, the men touched their caps to Mr. Wicker and went back to their interrupted tasks. Ned Silly, with his hands on Amos's shoulder, moved off to point some details in the Mirabelle, and Chris and Mr. Wicker were left alone. Mr. Wicker looked down quietly at the boy, but there was a sadness also in his face. Perhaps, he said as if to himself. I've set you too great a task, my fool, Christopher, for you are but a boy. He laid his hand on Chris's arm. You are but a boy, but what lies before you is a man's task, and no mistake. You cannot in the future allow yourself the luxury of such childish enjoyments as a laugh at Plegachu or his friends. I know that now, sir, Chris was by Solomon. I asked for trouble that time. Yes. Married Mr. Wicker in a tired voice. You did. Too bad, he added, and Chris saw fatigue for the first time in his master's face. Laughter you could not resist has meant that you have came forcibly to Claggett Chew's notice in such a way that you will never be forgotten. 
Mr. Wicker looked from some distant horizon back to Chris. I saw what's happening while I was in my study, but could not warn you in time, he said. So I came down with the ointment for your poison wound. Poison wound, sir? Wiss whispered, suddenly feeling much worse than he had before. Mr. Wicker sighed. <sighs> yes. Sometimes Mr. Chu has a way of dipping poison onto the little tip of his whip. It says a slow poison. It does not take effect for days or weeks. In fact, so long after his ash that no one attributes the whip cut to the death it finally follows. Never fear, he said, smiling his reassurance. The ointment I have put on you on will take care of that too, and your cut will be closed and healed before the day is over. What is unfortunately more lasting, said Mr. Wicker, is Mr. Chu's memory. Well, and Mr. Wicker shrugged his shoulders, there's no help for what is done. Use caution in the future, Christopher. That's all I ask. I shall, sir, Mr. 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 him. They turned to join Amos. Enjoy yourself the rest of the day, my boy, Mr. Wicker urged. Constantly on the alert and look in all directions. Here, he said, putting his hand on his pocket. Took these few coins in case you should need them. Now find Amos and be off with you. Although Chris would have liked to investigate all the wharves and see as many of the vessels as he could, he understood the warning given him by Mr. Wicker. So with Amos, he moved away from the scenes he preferred, taking the first road he saw leading off Water Street. M Street was, for Chris, completely unrecognizable. It was merely a broad, unpaved road in what seemed at best a country town. Groves of old trees, pasture lands, and orchards of large size surrounded the few houses. It was hard for Chris to realize that this was the core of the capital of the vast and teeming country into which he had been born. It was difficulty, for the streets were all had different names if they existed at all. Chris looked for his own street. Going back to what he'd known as M Street, not even the Pep Boys or Iron Horse Grill was to be seen. Instead of two wide stone bridges, now there was only a rickety one crossing Rock Creek Park. The boy walked to the bank above the park and looked down. The broad asphalt traffic lanes were gone, and so was the tidiness of all park lanes. Below him, Chris saw the tangled, thick forests that had always stood there. The creek itself, in the quiet of its earlier time, could be plainly heard running over its stones. Chris turned and led Amos to where he half expected to see his mother's house, but where his house would stand in some future year, nothing was to be seen but a dense grove of trees growing along the top of a little rise of ground. Someone had once built a fire at the corner where his front door would be one day be. Chris typed idly at the stones, picked up a metal button blackened by the fire. What are all you all looking for? Patient Amos asked. Just something I hoped I'd find, Chris answered, filled with a sense of desolation. Then he made himself remember that the house had not yet been built, and aware of the hollowness of his stomach, he said to Amos, Must be lunchtime. Let's go down to the creek to eat. I scrambled down the bank near where, in his time, there was a child's playground, and weaving in and out of the thick wood found a cr the creek clear and fresh. Here they ate their lunch, and then running and leaping, followed the turns of the stream until they neared the marshes and the river. End. Chapter 14